even aware of what was happening. In 1972 and 1973, a series of murders shocked Northern California. College girls began to disappear while hitchhiking. Two of the victims were picked up from the campus of the University of California at Santa Cruz. That's where Ed Kemper's mother was working as an administrative assistant. <laughs> Yes, my mama eat you like Jeff Dahmer. Say she on a period, let's make a mess, mama. I desensitize myself to it. I, 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 uh... I don't know, I went to great lengths. Never did I. Knew it would be this easy. How to month that shit greasy. Yeah, be the nigga shit cheesy. People said they get my corner, wanna turn around. Oh, it's just measy. Everybody wanna get away from me because I got heebie-jeebies smashed up like Mike. That game on the Halloween. What would you do if they had sexual parts? I wouldn't make the audience How long ago did this start, so? Like I say, what? Before you. But naked in your neighbor's pool, I stay stunned while I'm face fucking at the capitators. Go, you ever seen that before? No freak nasty gore, I need asking Lord some. You're a freak show. What do you do? Try anything and you cancel, bro. I'm fixated on asphyxiating and breaking this little chick's neck like a pixie stick. The sick Satan worshiping bitches get horse whippings. I'm in the back, through the back door, slipping through the crack, leaving the corpse, dripping the mortician of love. Sent from above, forced and treat her more. When she the more stingy, I become. Been doing this for more than a quarter century. I'm just numbing my dreaming. Is it real? Someone pinch me on the buns. Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like Wolf's Kebab is right, Frannis? Get Frannis, Butch, Butch, Boogie, Peter Ramitz, Get, 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 Google, Big, Big, Get, 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 Welcome back to the Rainy Day Horror Show. I'm Big Daddy D, and you are listening to the number one podcast in the world, okay? And on today's episode, Dusty McBalls is going to be sharing the story of Ed Kemper. Now, it's a lot different than last week, so get ready. We are heading back to that typical serial killer shit. And it's a good episode. It's graphic. It's violent, and it is utterly disgusting on what this man does, okay? So, without further ado, let me introduce your host for this evening's show, Dusty McBalls, aka the Certified Cougar Hunter, and your host, with the most. Now shut up and enjoy this show. Thank you, Big D, for that beautiful intro, okay? God, he's so good. I'm so happy I pay him seven cents an hour to do these intros. It's so good. Um, yes, today, on today's episode, we have Edward Kemper. Not Edward, Edmund. I keep saying Edward, but I mean 
Edmund Camp Kemper, not Camper. Ed Kemper. That's who we have here today. Not physically, because you know he's locked up in California, so he really can't physically be here. But he is here in story format, and it's going to be a good story. Last week was a little weird, right? We had a serial killer that came from a normal family, but Sir Ed here comes from a family that is not normal, and he was really weird as a kid, like most typical serial killer shit, right? Last week, we just had a dude that was really neurotic and just flashed himself and was just fucking weird in that aspect. This guy, Ed Kemper, no, this dude is off the rails, off the OTR, off the rails, that's what I was trying to say, but I hope you guys enjoy this episode, it is going to be a good one, alright, so, get those Crocs on, strap them bitches in adventure mode, we are heading to California, I think South California, I could be completely wrong, I think where we're headed is Southern, is SoCal, but I could be completely fucking wrong, I'm not from California, okay, sorry, but... Strap in. It's going to be a good episode. All right. And without further ado, we're going to get into this beautiful story on Ed Kemper. A nice guy. Did you like Kemper? I like Kemper. So, Edmund Emil Kemper, the third, yes, there is two above him. The third was born on December 18th, 1948. He had one older sister named Susan Huey Kemper and a younger sister named Alan Lee Kemper. Now, Kemper's dad, Edmund Emil Kemper, a.k.a. Jr., was a World War II veteran, an atomic bomb tester, and later on in his life, he strapped up the boots, became a blue-collared worker, and took a job as an electrician. Now, Kemper's mom, Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper, was a fucking lunatic. I mean, this bitch was crazy. Like, I know some guys like their women crazy, but even the guys that like their women crazy, this is, this is too much. She is way too fucking much. I would have honestly killed her if I was dating her. Clarnell was an alcoholic who may have suffered from BPD or formerly known as borderline personality disorder. She was very verbally and physically abusive to the family, especially towards Edmund's father. Clarnell would regularly berate Junior because of his menial, quote-unquote menial job as an electrician, which is not really that menial. Um, For kids that are listening to this, and if you're thinking about going into college or don't know what you're going to do afterwards, if you go into a trade... You will make so much fucking money. I'm not even kidding. You will make so much fucking money. My So me, my brother, my dad, and my second cousin. We work for this plumbing supply company called Ferguson. And I was going to become a plumber after high school. I didn't, but I was going to and I thought about doing it. And my dad was telling me that if you, you can go in as an apprentice... And sometimes they send you to school and they pay for it. Or sometimes you kind of just work your way up within the guide, within the company. Not the guidelines, but within the company. And once you work after, I think it's like once you become, after like two or four years, then you become like 
you don't you lose the apprenticeship and you become like a normal plumber and you can be you know what is it hired and you can go by yourself you don't have to be supervised or anything like that and then i think after another four years you can somehow like open up your own i think you become like a person that watches over all the plumbing stuff within your company within the company and then after that you can go and make so much fucking money and it's like it's insane it's really really fucking insane because people and kids that are listening to this they always need people in the blue collared industry right and a lot of them do get paid really really well okay so if you don't know what you want to do after high school i highly recommend you know looking at going into a trade it is a very smart trade because nobody like you need these people you need people to build houses you need people to do plumbing to do hvac to do all of this stuff okay and you can make a shit ton of money you really really can especially if you work your way up within the company like you can easily make over six figures within 10 years and you can make even more money if you decide to go out and open up your own like plumbing company so just want to let you guys know okay don't make fun of the blue collared workers all right they are like literally the backbone along with the truckers. They are the backbone of this country, okay? Don't make fun of them, right? Because they probably do get paid more than a lot of people that are working normal nine to five jobs. So, but fortunately for Junior, he would eventually divorce Clarnell after nine years. Well, nine years after Ed was born, and they got divorced in 1957 and after the divorce was finalized he would make a comment about his ex-wife saying that suicide missions and wartime and the later atomic bomb testing were nothing compared to living with clarnell that's funny that's funny straight out the gate he's a free man he's on the prowl for another single woman. He's ready to get his toes wet. He's dipping his feet in the pond. And right before he does it, he's like, oh yeah, fuck you, Clarnell. That is so funny. I love that. And I will say, I will say, Ed does have a little bit of a sense of humor throughout his career as a serial killer. And I think he gets it from his dad. And you'll 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 see why in a second. You'll see well not in a second, but you'll see why throughout this story because some of the shit that he does is so fucking hilarious. I mean, it's sick and twisted, but it is so fucking hilarious. Now, Ed's mother also refused to coddle her son because she feared that it would turn him gay. That is so that that's funny too cuz that's not true. That's not how it works, but that is so fucking funny. This family is so messed up and funny that this is going to be a good comedy show this is a very dysfunctionally funny family now after i just burped now after clarnell and junior got divorced clarnell would take herself and the children and move to montana where they would begin their new life a new life where the signs of a serial killer were in the making there like this is where it all started to you know um what is the word not perpetuate but come forth we'll say come forth within 
his within this family's lives. When Ed was 10, he would decapitate his sister's dolls and later tell reporters that after he was, you know, deca- well, after that he was caught, he would speak on this topic of decapitating his sister's dolls and say, I remember there was actually a sexual thrill. You hear that little pop and a pull there. Well, you hear a little pop and pull their heads off and hold them by their hair, whipping their heads off and having their bodies sitting there. That get me off. He was doing this when he was 10 people. This is how he felt when he was 10. It gets worse. Trust me. It gets worse. It gets worse and graphic, really graphic. He also would force his sisters to play a game called Gas Chamber or Electric Chair where he would have his sisters blindfold him, tie him to a chair, and he would pretend to be a convict and would shake and writhe in agony until he was dead from, well, quote-unquote dead from being executed. And he also killed the family's cat, not once, but twice. He killed two family cats. And what he did to the cats was horrific. The first cat that he killed, he buried alive. And then after the cat had died, he dug it back up and allegedly, I say allegedly, allegedly decapitated it and put the cat's head on a stick. When he was confronted about the cat going missing, Ed allegedly told reporters that the fact that he was lying to his family about the cat and getting away with it, it brought him great pleasure. Then he killed the second family's cat when he was 13. And the, the reason he killed this cat was because it was showing more affection to his younger sister, Aelin, and he got really, really jealous of it. So he decided to kill it. And he, after he killed it, he chopped it up into multiple pieces and kept said pieces in his closet. He would also leave the house unannounced when his parents were together with his father's bayonet and go stalk his second grade teacher. One time, one fucking time, his sister Susan decided to tease Ed about his weird crush on his teacher, joking around and saying something along the lines of him wanting to kiss his teacher. And in response to that joke, Kemper replied with, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. What? What the, what? What the fuck? Ed? No. How old do you have to be in the second grade? What is that? Like eight? Between eight and 13. 
this is not normal people i don't like i don't understand parents that are like oh yeah like there's totally nothing wrong with our kid like what bro i would be taking him to go see a psychiatrist on god i am not even joking we would be the next morning he would be going to the best therapist slash psychiatrist in the fucking state i would not care that is so weird that is not normal okay well i guess also doing a podcast on serial killers where they brutally mutilate and kill people isn't normal either but still we all like serial killers and see like to see how fucked up they are so it's, it's a little different like personally i would never do any of this shit all right but oh my god i don't understand why people just don't fucking like take their kid to the doctor but I, what do, what do, what do I know, right? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a dude that just does dude stuff, I guess. I don't fucking know. I'm pretty-ish normal. Not really, well, a little bit, but you get what I mean. Now, since they were living in Montana with, you know, well, let me rewind. Let me rewind because I messed up this line. Now, since they were living in Montana and with Ed's father not being around, Clarnell would take her aggression out on, you know, Ed. And she would verbally abuse him and would tell him that no woman would ever fall in love with him. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. And I watched the alcohol increase. I watched her social life drop off. I watched her get bizarre. She had terrible pain from her life, earlier life, her upbringing, uh, a failed marriage with my father. I'm a constant reminder of that failure. Clarnell would also lock Ed in the basement because she feared that he would hurt his sister. Well, sisters, not sister. His sisters. And this went on for years. Basically from the time that they moved to Montana and lived in Helena till Ed was probably about 14 where he decided to, you know, run away because he had enough. And he eventually did at 14 go run away to live with his father. Now, I don't know if that's the correct, like, procedure to do if someone is showing serial killer tendencies to lock them in the fucking basement at night. Once they get home from school and shit like that. Like, I don't think that's a good form of therapy. But that, that that's just me. That's just me. I wouldn't do that. Okay? I would not do that. Because holy shit, that... You're going to find out through this story. This is probably one of the reasons why. Not only because she was a dick to him. But he hates his mom. He has major mommy issues. Okay? So, and you will figure that out through this this story, but oh my God, she did not take care of this kid that well. Now, Ed lived with it when he ran away from his mom to go live with his father. He lived with him for a little bit, but when Ed first arrived at his father's house, he was quite shocked to see that his dad was remarried and already had a new son with his new wife. And after a few months went by, Junior decided to send Ed to live with his grandparents, Edmund Emil Sr. and Maud Kemper, okay, in North Folk, North, not North Folk, North Fork, 
California. And this is where our young Ed would first strike and get his first true, his first real murders under his belt. Ed, well, Ed's grandparents lived on this beautiful, beautiful ranch in California. But Ed, on the other hand, he, even though it was a beautiful place, his grandparents maybe have been a little nice. I don't know. I wasn't there. He absolutely hated living with them. Ed would tell reporters after his capture that living with them is no better than living with his mom in Montana. And he would call his grandpa senile and his grandma emasculating. And according to Mr. Ed Kemper, his grandmother thought that she had more balls than any man and was constantly emasculating him and his grandfather to prove it. Now, while Ed was living on his grandparents' farm, his grandfather taught him how to use a gun. Great idea, right? It's a perfect idea. This dude is killing cats and playing a weird execution game and popping heads off of dolls. And you want to teach him how to use a gun. Perfect. Fucking perfect. Just a wonderful idea, but it did not last long. Because it was his firearm privileges were quickly taken away after he had killed several birds and other small animals. And after his, you know, firearm quote unquote license was taken away, he began to clash more and more with his grandparents. And at one point, Ed would tell reporters that. I couldn't please her. It was like being in jail. I became a walking time bomb and I finally blew. And the day that Sir Ed Kemper did blow the fuck up was on August 27th, 1964. He had just gone into an explosive argument with his grandmother and being a hormonal 15-year-old boy, he decided to go grab a 22 caliber rifle and shoot his grandmother in the kitchen. For people that don't really know gun calibers, 22 is basically one it's like the a very very small caliber with you can get it in a pistol format or you can get it in a rifle format, but they're mainly used for like really small and tiny animals. Um they can kill people. I've heard or I've seen stories that people have been killed with them. And being shot with the 22 is really, really weird because they can, because they have such a low amount of energy, they have the tendency to ricochet off your bones. I was watching Untold Stories of the ER one day. And this guy, they didn't know what was going on with him because his leg was going like numb and it was really cold to the touch, but everywhere along his body was fine. And he was fine. He was like talking and he was just being normal, but he ended up, I think if I remember correctly, he ended up getting into like a bar fight and he was shot and it, he was hit like in the shirt. He, he, it was very, very cold out and somehow he got shot, right? 
and it ricocheted off of his rib cage and went straight down and it, the bullet was sitting next to his knee. So I have, and there's a bunch of other stories that are like that too. I've seen so many of bullets ricocheting, well, especially a 22 caliber ricocheting off of bones and ending up in places where they're not supposed to fucking be. They cause, even though it's a small caliber, they can cause a lot of damage, right? They can rip through all of your organs and everything. So it's the smallest caliber when it comes to guns, but it is by no means any less dangerous than any other caliber. Okay. I know that sounds like, oh, like what about a nine mil? Well, technically, yes, a nine mil is more dangerous, but nine mil can't fucking ricochet off bones like a 22 can. I think a 22 is just as dangerous as any other caliber out there within the pistol realm, unless you're going up past like a 45 ACP, because that's a big boy. We don't want to, that's a big boy. You don't want to get hit with that. Now, after he killed his grandmother, he then waited for his grandfather to return home from the grocery store. Once his papa, his grandfather, returned home from the store, Ed walked out of the house and shot his grandfather dead as he was walking up the driveway. After he murdered both his grandparents, he then called his mom and basically just told her that he just killed his grandparents and he doesn't know what to do. And Clarnell told Ed, told him that he had to call 911 and tell them what he had just done. And he did exactly that. After he confessed to the murders, he told the police that I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. And I killed grandpa so that he wouldn't have to find grandma dead. Basically, um, in other words, he was, because I saw a little bit of a breakdown on this quote from an article that I read. Because it went a little bit more in depth of what he said, but he, he just didn't want to put his grandfather through the pain of discovering his wife dead is basically what it was. And he quoted it in another source, but I didn't, I didn't leave that in, but that's, that's why he killed his grandpa, grand, grandpa, grandpa. Now, once he was convicted for the killing of his grandparents, he was then sent to, I'm going to butcher this. So I'm sorry to my former, well, my, not former because we're all friends, but to my Californian um, fans. That's the word. That's the F word I was looking for. He was sent to Adescadero. Is that how you say it? I think that's how you say it. Adescadero State Hospital, which we will eventually dive into some other time because there have been a load of mainstream lunatics that have been sent here. I... I'll give you one. One of the uh, Manson family members went to this hospital. So this is a big, this is a big boy prison hospital place. Okay, it's a big boy lunatic asylum. All right. Now, when Ed was staying at this hospital, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and it was discovered that he had a very high high IQ while staying there. Now. I don't know exactly which one it is, okay? Some sources said it was 145, while others that I read said it was 171. So his IQ is one of those two numbers. I just don't know which one, okay? 
it was like split right down the middle. Like I looked at like six different sources. Half of them said 145, half of them said 171. So I don't know which one it is, but it's one of those two fucking numbers. Ed would only, but Ed would only stay at this place for a few years. And he was fortunate enough to be released on his 21st birthday in 1969, where he then was sent to live with his mother in Santa Cruz. Despite the doctor's recommendation that he does not live with his mother because of obvious reasons, her issues with him and just being really, really abusive. Once Ed returned to his mother's arms, he found out that she had moved to Santa Cruz, okay? After she just ended her third marriage, okay? She left Montana, ended up back in Santa Cruz, and she started working at the University of California. Since Ed was out and fresh on the streets, he didn't start killing right away. He actually tried living a normal life. He first attended community college and then attempted to become a state trooper, but was rejected because of his height and size. Mid 20 year old Ed Kemper weighed 300 pounds and was 6'9", which led him to earning his nickname, Big Ed. This dude was fucking massive. He also kind of... (laughs) I saw his... uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Because I wanted to... I looked up like, oh my god, is he really that big? Because I didn't know that. And I looked him up, and I came across his mugshot. He is actually that big. Like, he's a big fucking dude. I'm going to post it on Instagram. You will see it. If you want to see it, follow me on Instagram. It's at the Rainy Day Horror Show or Dusty McBalls. Ed Kemper, when he first got arrested, looks almost identical to Mr. Beast. I'm not even fucking kidding you. It is the realest. I'm being so serious with you right now. He looks like very, very close to Mr. Beast. It's almost creepy on how close they look after he was rejected from becoming a police officer he then was hired by the department of transportation in 1971 and within that same year ed was struck by a car while he was out riding his motorcycle he had severely injured his arm and received a fifteen thousand dollar settlement in a civil lawsuit that he filed against the car's driver. And after he won that case, he went out and bought a 1969 Ford Nova. I think it was a Ford Nova. I have it in here, but that's what he bought with his settlement money. And after, you know, the whole injury and everything, it put him out of work. And this is where Kemper became bored. And this is also where Camper Kemper decided to turn his mind to other things. Those other things? Serial killer things. Let me get closer. Serial killer things. That's what he was doing. That's what he decided. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill now. And this, 
this is what this is where this is where yeah this is where it starts happening as ed was driving around california one day in his i think it was a ford nova i don't know why i have galaxy here let me look it up real quick i don't i don't want to miss give you guys information hold on give me two seconds i'm gonna keep talking so it's not like this awkward silence and we're like okay did he find it yet what's going on here what's taking him so long what's ed's what what is ed kemper's car here we go let's see what was it it was a ford galaxy not a nova i'm sorry people as he was driving around this one day in California with his 1969 Ford Galaxy that he just bought with his settlement money, like I said, five seconds ago, he started to notice that a lot of women were hitchhiking within his area. And at first, Kemper would just pick up these women just to talk to him. And according to him, it was his way to try and make an attempt to get to know people his own age, and try to strike up a friendship. He allegedly had picked up over a hundred women without zero incidents. But his serial killer tendencies, his serial killer urges, started to get the best of him. I need to be able to really communicate. And ironically enough, that's why I began picking people up. And I'm picking up young women. And I'm going a little bit farther each time. It's a daring kind of a thing. At first, there wasn't a gun. I'm driving along. We go to a vulnerable place where there aren't people watching, where I could act out, and I say, no, I can't. And then a gun is in the car, hidden. And this craving, this awful, raging, eating feeling inside. I could feel it consuming my insides. And when Ed was asked by reporters of what went through his mind when he saw, you know, a pretty girl that would get into his car, Ed would reply with, this would be so chilling to hear. One side of me says, wow, that's an attractive chick. Any guy would do that if somebody's beautiful, right? Or if some, if they find somebody attractive, sorry, ladies, that's what it is. That's what happens. Okay. I know you don't want men to be like, oh, they only look at me for my looks. I know you don't like that. But 90% of the time, it is true, okay? And then he would have this other side of him say, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. Oh, Lord. Oh, that's creepy. That's awful. Don't hitchhike, people, because this might be somebody that you're hitchhiking with, if I'm being honest. And... That's exactly what happened because by the time 1972 had hit, Ed turned back to his evil ways and he packed his trunk with numerous murderous tools that included a knife, handcuffs that were actually given to him by some friends that he knew within the police force, and a gun. And on May 7th, 1972... Ed would strike for the first time since killing his grandparents. On that fateful day, Ed Kemper had picked up two 18-year-old students that attended Fresno State in 
Berkeley. He picked him up in Berkeley. This is where this situation occurs. These two students were Mary Ann Pess. I think that's how you say her last name. Sorry, Mary Ann, if I fucking butchered that. And Anita Lucessa. And they would unfortunately never arrive to their destination. Kemper had brought the two young women to a nearby wooded area with the intention of raping them, but he ended up panicking and instead stabbed and choked both of them to death. Kemper drove them at gunpoint to a secluded area near a park. He took one of them into the woods, leaving the second girl tied in the car. I'd just gone through a horrible experience with her roommate stabbing her. And I was in shock because of that. I couldn't believe that it was that way. And I'm walking back there bewildered. I gotta kill her. I can't let her go. She's gonna tell on me. Everybody's gonna get me. After he had murdered them, he had stuffed them in his trunk and drove them to his house in Alameda, California. And on the way back to his house, he happened to get pulled over by the police for a broken taillight. Now, the cop not suspecting a thing or, you know, aware or, well, I guess should say he's unaware that there are two dead bodies in the trunk. Ed got let go. The first 24 hours, there were three clear times I should have been busted and I wasn't because three different individuals or three different groups of people got scared and minded their own business and looked the other way. And once Ed arrived at his house, he decided to bring both bodies into said house and then raped and dismembered their lifeless corpses. Yes, he is a necrophiliac. We got one. We got one right now. All right. I know your ears perked up when I said necrophiliac. You were like, oh, I'm in now. Always getting good. Trust me. I know what you're thinking. All right. Me and you are on the same wavelength. All right. It gets worse. It gets a lot worse. I'm not, you should see. Wait till you see what he does to his mom. It is brutal. It is extremely brutal. Once he was done, you know, dismembering and raping their lifeless corpses, he then placed their body parts in plastic bags and disposed of them in a ravine near Loma Prieta Mountain. And the two Berkeley natives wouldn't be found until August 15th, 1972. And out of both victims... Only one was found and identified. That victim was Marianne. Unfortunately, they never found, from what I could find, they never found Anita. So, that sucks. But, at least they were able to tie this murder to him. Now, well, not they were able to tie Anita's murder to him. Okay, that's what I meant to say. Now, Kemper's third victim in 1972 was Aiko Koo, a 15-year-old Korean dance student who happened to get into Kemper's car on September 14, 1972. Aiko just had missed her bus to go to dance class 
And because she missed the bus, she was forced to hitchhike. And that was when Ed picked her up. After Ed picked her up, she would also unfortunately meet the same fate that Marianne and Anita met. Now, also at some point, I heard, I saw a very, very small blip of a video on YouTube that he was kind of explaining this scene and he basically said, I don't have all the context, but I will find it and I'll put it in after I'm done explaining what happened. Somehow on the ride to wherever they were going, he ended up getting locked out of his car and was able to persuade Iko to let him back in. One victim let me back in the car. I locked myself out. She opened the door for me. My gun was under the seat. What in the hell am I doing telling you that? Am I looking, am I, am I a masochist? Am I looking to be tormented further? I'm trying to show you just how awful this got, how commanding these rages got. I was raging inside. There was just incredible energies, positive and negative. And that is where Ed choked her unconscious, raped, and then killed her. And after Ed had killed Iko, he then stuffed her body in the trunk. And Kemper would also later tell reporters that after he put her in his trunk before shutting the door, he looked at Iko's lifeless corpse with pride and that he admired his catch like a fisherman. Once he disposed of Iko's body, he started to realize that the cops were discovering his victim's bodies. So just for an additional adrenaline rush and thrill, he started getting riskier and riskier with whatever he was doing, with all of the crimes and just shit that he was, like, he was trying to get, he was, well, I guess in a way he was trying to get caught, but he was trying to see how far he could go before he was caught. And what he would do is he would go to this bar or any other outings with the intention of, you know, seeing if he would be noticed by any police officers that were there. He went to this one bar, this specific bar called the jury room. And all this time, Kemper was able to seem normal. He even hung out at a bar across the street from the courthouse, making friends with policemen, trying to pick up information. They'd buy me a beer, I'd buy them a beer. Uh, casual relationships, but that was, I was poking around a little bit trying to find some things out. I knew they wouldn't be privy to hot information, but there were some things that were bothering me, like were there any speculations on how they were dying? Did the cops like you? Like I said, a friendly nuisance. I got in the way, and it was deliberate. Again, friendly nuisances are dismissed. And that is where all of his cop friends hung out. So he just wanted to hear them talk about his murders, right? That is what he was trying to do. They wanted to see, he wanted to see if they could, you know, if they were piecing the puzzle together. And the entire time, they didn't know that he was the killer 
and was standing or sitting right next to them. So he did start getting risky with his business, okay? And once 73, well, 1973 had hit, he also decided to go live back with his mother once again. And as Ed was living there, he decided to kill three more students. And all three of these students attended the University of California, the same college that his mom had worked at. And the first victim was Cindy Shaw, who was shot and killed on January, well, not on January, in January of 1973. Once Cindy was killed, Ed chopped her up, same old business, dismembered her. But this time, this is kind of funny. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm a little messed up for this, but I think this is fucking hilarious. And this is where I think I this is why I think Ed gets his humor from his dad, okay? After he dismembered up Cindy's body, he then buried her head in his mom's yard and threw the rest of the body her well, her body parts in the ocean where her where those Parts would eventually wash back up on shore and be discovered. Ed explained to the reporters that interviewed him that the reason, <laughs> this is so funny, that the reason he buried her head in his mom's yard was because his mom always wanted people to look up to her. That is such a sick fucking joke. It is so funny, but it is so fucking sick. Oh, mom, you want people to look up to you? Here, I'm going to put this head buried in the ground, and it's literally going to be looking up at you the entire time. You bitch. That is so fucking funny. I am so evil and probably going to hell for that comment, but it is so fucking funny. It is so funny. Now, his second and third victim while he was living with his mom was Rosalina Thorpe and Alice Liu. And on February 8th, 1973, Ed had used a campus parking sticker that his mom had given him to facilitate this double homicide, this double murder. Even after police warnings against hitchhiking and an increased bus schedule on the campus, Kemper had no trouble picking up hitchhikers. Ironically, one warning advised riding only in cars with university stickers. Kemper's car had such a sticker. My mother worked at the campus and I had an A sticker on my car and obvious access day or night to the campus. I was picking up some very lovely young women. You know what, the, what we were talking about as we're driving around? Almost as often as not, this guy that's going around doing this stuff. And the second they started talking that, they didn't realize it, but they were getting a free ride. I couldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole, I swear. You know, but they'd be telling me what all about this guy, and they're comparing notes and speculating on what he looks like, how he carries himself, why he's doing this stuff, telling me about it. He drove to the same university that his mother worked at and offered two young women a ride home. Now, shortly after picking them up and literally right once both of the students got into his car, he shot them both 
in the head and drove past the campus security gates like nothing happened with these two dead women in the backseat of his car. And which I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to assume that the reason he didn't get seen was because maybe he did stuff him in the trunk, but maybe there was just nobody working the gate. I don't fucking know. It didn't really explain in depth on how he made it past the security gate, but I'm going to just safely assume that maybe nobody was there. Cause you know, sometimes you go into onto a campus and you just drive through the gates and there's nobody there. Sometimes that's, what I'm going to assume happened, but I have no clue. Okay. So I'm just going to allegedly say that maybe nobody was working those gates when he was driving out. Now, once he arrived back home at his mother's house, he then dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets from their heads and disposed of, you know, the two females in different parts, in different locations, and different areas along Highway 1, where they would also eventually be discovered by a group of hikers in March of 1973 in San Mateo County. Now, while Ed was on his serial killer extravaganza, California also had two other serial killers that were on the loose in the exact same area that Ed was killing in. Those two people were John Lindley Frazier and Herbert Mullins. And because there was so much murder going on within Santa Cruz... It was eventually given the nickname, the murder capital of the world. And at this point, also, Ed was given the nickname, the co-ed killer and the co-ed butcher. You were involved in the campus because your mother worked there. Yes. I was also involved in killing co-eds because my mother was associated with college work, college co-eds, women and had had a very strong and violently outspoken position on men for much of my upbringing. But now we are, I guess, fortunately coming to the end of Ed Kemper's serial killer career. His last two victims before being locked away was his mother, Clarnell, and his mother's best friend, Sally Hallett. And on April 20th, he fucking does his mom so dirty. It is awful. It is so fucking brutal. Oh, it's so bad. On April 20th, 1973, Ed got into a very heated argument with his mother that really pushed him over the edge. After Ed's mom had gone to sleep, he decided to go and retrieve a claw hammer from within the home of, well, within the home. I don't know why I was going to continue that sentence, but within the home and base, well, not basically he bludgeoned her to death and then he decapitated her once she was lifeless, cut her head off. He then raped her severed head. He cut out, her tongue, and her larynx. 
He then used said decapitated head. That rhymed. I should have been a rapper. As a dartboard. And then, after all of that, he allegedly put his mom's head either on the counter, on a chair, on a mantle, on somewhere. It didn't really specify where, but somewhere within the house. And screamed at the top of his lungs for an hour straight at this decapitated head. That was one week before I murdered my mother. I said, she's got to die, and I've got to die, or girls like that are going to die. And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother. I knew a week before she died, I was going to kill her. And she went out to a party, she got soused, she came home, went to sleep. I was woken up by that, I got came out, I walked up to her bed, she's laying there reading a paperback. As many thousands of nights before. And she said, oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Shit. I looked at her. I said, no. I said, good night. And I knew I was going to kill her. For seven years, she said, I haven't had sex with a man because of you, my murderous son. It's one of our arguments. I cut off her head. And, I'm, and I humiliated her corpse. It's there. You know? A six young woman dead because of the way she raises her son and the way her son is raised, the way he grows up. And what's her closing words? I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk. God, I, don't, I wish I had. Once he was all done with his temper tantrum, he then tried stuffing his... Oh, God. He then... This is bad, too. I wrote it really bad, too, so it's going to be kind of slimy on the way I'm going to say it, so I apologize, but I didn't have any other way I could word it. He tried stuffing his mom, well, his dismembered mom, down the garbage disposal and into the sink, but the mechanism couldn't handle her remains and spit her back out into the sink. And after that, Ed thought it would be a great idea to invite his mother's friend Sally over, where he then strangled her shortly after she had arrived. Now, once Sally was murdered, he then decided to steal her car and drive to Pueblo, Colorado, where he eventually called the police from a phone booth and confessed to the murders that he had committed. Didn't Kemper stop himself uh, toward the end of his career? Kemper says he did. He says he could have gone on. He said he had fantasies of killing uh, uh, dozens more people, of leaving a trail of bodies across the country, and at one point he just got on the telephone and turned himself in. He said it was time for the killing to stop. In his case, he said uh, publicly that it was his mother that he was killing all along, and when he killed his mother, uh, that was the end. It's a very deep psychological observation from himself. It, it may be very accurate. And at first, like any other serial killer that calls the police, at first, they didn't believe Big Ed. But after talking with him for a little bit, they realized that 
he was releasing details that only the murderer would know or the killer would know about these murders. And another reason why they didn't really believe him at first was because he is friends with most of the police people within the police department. So, after he was telling his story and on what he did in convincing the operator, they asked him why he stopped killing and decided to turn himself in. And Kemper said... It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I just started feeling the foley of the whole damn thing. And at that point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it off. Kemper was then arrested shortly after the phone call and when confronted and interrogated about his killings, especially the murder of his mother, he would tell police officers that my victims represented not what my mother was, but what she liked, what she coveted, what was important to her, and I was destroying it. I hate to distill it down into such uh, into one word realities like that. There's a lot that leads into that happening, but that is what happened. They represented not what my mother was, but what she liked, what she coveted, what was important to her, and I was destroying it. My mother and I started right in on our horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. It seemed appropriate as much as she'd bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. So, yes, he blames his mom for all of the shit that he did. She's the reason why he killed, which... Kind of stupid, but... I mean, I understand she wasn't nice to you, but you could have just, you know not have fucking killed you could have just cut your mother off once you became 18 and said to hell with her but you know what do i know it's not like i'm a functioning adult here fucking christ and after he was arrested he was charged with eight accounts of first degree murder and kemper went on trial for his crimes in october of 1973 and was found guilty of all charges in early November of 1973. Where might you be if you'd never given in to the impulse to murder? Where might I be? If my parole had been successful, uh, I believe I'd be married, I'd have children, I'd be heading toward my first grandchildren. And when the judge asked Kemper what his punishment should be, Kemper said that he should be tortured to death and given the death penalty. But instead of being given the death penalty, the judge gave him eight concurrent life sentences. And as of right now, Ed Kemper is being imprisoned at the California Medical Facility in Vacayville, which is also where a, a huge place where a, a lot of other mainstream serial killers and just killers in general were held. I did a quick Google search before this. Charles Manson was held at the same facility, I think. I could be wrong. I didn't dig a whole lot into it, so take that with the grain of salt. That is allegedly what I saw. 
Okay. Oh, yeah, I even wrote it down. It said that at one... Well, within his 73... Well, when he first got there, he eventually was imprisoned with Charles Manson and Herbert Mullen, who was also a serial killer at the time that he was murdering. Sorry, I fucked that whole situation up, okay? In Ed's early days of his prison stay, he gave numerous interviews in prison. And if you do want to go and watch those, they are on YouTube right now as we speak. And that is the end of the episode. I think he might be one of my favorite serial killers. Um, For a long time, it was H.H. Holmes. I still love H.H. Holmes, but right now it is a tie between Ed Kemper and H.H. Holmes, right? They're both fucking weird. Both fucking weirdos. And when we get to Illinois, I'm going to do H.H. Holmes. So I did him for a report once in high school when I was a senior. Yeah, that's the only time I, that's, I don't have that, so I can't use it for like my fucking notes and shit. But yeah, I did a report on him, so this will be fun again to do another one on him. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Got an interview coming out tomorrow. It's going to be interesting. So I hope you guys like that one. You guys know how I feel about alien stuff. I'm not really into it, but tomorrow's episode actually bridges aliens between true crime and you'll... You'll see why. You'll you'll hear the story. And it's interesting. Okay? It's really, really interesting. So, I hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. We've got a long one ahead of us. Well, not really long, but it's going to be five days of torture going to work. And I know you and I both hate it, trust me. But we get paid, right? I get paid this week and I'm excited to get paid because I got a lot of shit I got to buy. So I'm trying to get all the clothing stuff figured out so I can start selling it to you guys if you guys want that. But yeah, other than that, hope you guys had a good weekend. Let's get through this week. Let's just hit it hard and just come home and have fun. All right. So remember, stay frosty, stay foxy. And most importantly, the most important thing on this planet, stay safe, you beautiful peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces. I still loved my mother, and it's hard for somebody to comprehend that you murder your mother through love. It isn't a rational process. It's a very painful process. It isn't rational. And I've got to still live with that.